Welcome to the Healing Circle podcast, where we talk about everything mental health, faith, and relationships. Though this show is hosted by a licensed therapist, that's me, Kobe, I am not your therapist. These amazing conversations are meant to provide psychoeducation and start some good conversation, but they're not meant to be a substitute for real therapy services. We're excited to learn, grow, and talk with you guys. So let's jump into today's episode. Hey everyone, I'm Kobe. I'm Kyle. And welcome back to the Healing Circle Podcast. (laughs) I had to let it out. At this point, I'm just going to let you have it. I'm just going to let you have it. Y'all, we are so excited for this episode. In our last episode, we went over codependence. We went over the different contexts that people may be in that may result in them having codependent behavior or just acting out of codependency. Um, We gave it a definition. We talked about the biological implications, and we explained how it shows up in our world. Kyle and I both revealed that we're honestly both recovering from our own versions of codependency. We are recovering, aren't we? Yeah, we are recovering. That's the word. We are recovering from our own codependencies. And man, we just wanted to talk about what it looks like to re-parent codependency. Um, At the heart of codependency, uh, re-parenting it, restoring the brokenness, that's at the root of it, that's at the core of it, is getting acquainted with our own thoughts, feelings, desires, and emotions, right? Because someone who's engaging in codependent behavior or operating out of codependency, they don't know how, they literally are experts at how someone else feels, but they have no clue how they feel. Yeah. And like, I conceptualize that always from the perspective of, someone who is a high achiever because a lot of us high achievers we like we see we know we do we help other people heal we help other people restore but then we kind of live with this psychosocial loneliness because we're like something's wrong but i don't know what (laughs) (laughs) right it's like i don't know like what why i'm feeling this way i don't know why i just i'm just not in a good mood today's just not a good day and the truth is we're not acquainted with our own thoughts or feelings or desires. Um, It can be a really vulnerable process to get acquainted to them. Yeah. I I know that when I was younger and it, it's telling that when you talk to folks who have struggled with codependence, it takes a while for them to even realize that there's something wrong. It's just like, Oh, that's, doesn't everyone think this way? Doesn't, you know, it's just, Yeah, obviously, this is the way that you're supposed to live your life. Mm, And it can be in certain contexts, it can be um, misconstrued with empathy. Yes. With like, oh, you're just so empathetic. And there are like, you know, on the inside, like, ha ha ha, I'm dying. (laughs) Like, I'm not being empathetic. I just have, I feel no choice but to be sucked into the whirlwind of your emotions. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can remember like literally when I was younger and I wasn't um, before I met you, Kobe, and you changed my life. Oh, man, what an amazing experience meeting you. 
Um, <laughs> but before that, back in the dark ages, I used to, like, I didn't know what I felt. And so in order for me to access my own feelings, I had to ask myself, well, what would someone else feel in this situation? Yeah. And then I had to like, almost like pretend, like, like act through what, they what I do. believed someone else's emotions oh, would be just to gosh. connect with my own. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't be, well, am I sad? I have no idea. But you know what? Who do I think is normal? Uh, <laughs> you. Brent's normal. Well, Brent's not normal He's if not. you've met him. Um, but whoever is normal, like what would they feel? Oh, I think mm-hmm. they might feel this way. Well, I need to make sure that I'm, you know, not seen as a weirdo. So let me pretend to act the way that I think someone else would act if this happened to them. Mm. And, so yeah. it makes me think about this is going to be odd to you guys because it was absolutely odd to me. Literally, I mean, th- we're in year five of marriage, year three and four into marriage. Kyle was still doing this. Kyle, I would say, babe, what do you want to eat for dinner? He'd be like, I don't know what I want to eat. I have to call Brent. And I'd be like, uh, <laughs> Brent lives in a different state. What What do you mean you have to call Brent? He's like, I don't know what I want to eat, but I feel like Brent knows what, what I want to eat. And yeah. literally he'd get on the phone, call Brent. And he'd be like, bro, do I want steak or do I want chicken? And Brent would be like, nah, 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 bro. You want a steak. You want a steak. And I'd be like, what, what, what? And it's, it's a, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, of course. Yeah, and you'd you're be like, so right. You would, and that is it. He or would he'd be like, nah, bro, you, you're on the wrong track. I know what you need. Salmon. Yes. And you'd be Dude. like, that's exactly what I was wanting. Thanks, bro. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> but that, I think that is also like a, a window into the reality that codependence looks different for everybody. Yeah. Like, I think that's why these conversations are important. So we don't just look at someone and be like, oh, you're not codependent. Look at you doing this, running the business, blah, blah, blah. But they're doing all these things, but are they operating based off of their personal values mm-hmm. or are they enslaved to someone else's feelings, thoughts, emotions? And when I say enslaved, I don't mean like, oh, they're just choosing and they just can't let go. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about biologically, like they feel a sense of terror. When we talk about the fight, flight, freeze response in the body, it is the body's way of metabolizing the experience of terror, yeah. Of I am going to die even if it doesn't make sense. It defies logic. Yeah. Right. And so there are people who want to speak up and say, I actually I don't want to eat there, but feel a sense of physical terror and can't speak up. Mm-hmm. And then because of the context they're in, look back on those moments and feel a sense of shame. Yeah. Right. And I, like personally, I know I've experienced that. So for me, I I've struggled in our marriage to be able to say, I don't want that. Like, I don't yeah. want, I don't want to eat there or, or I don't want to hang out with those people. Mm-hmm. Right? Because like, to me, the idea of Kyle being disappointed in my response to something was terrifying. Like I felt that terror yeah. in my body because it put me at risk of rejection. And a lot of my trauma is rooted in rejection, but it didn't start with Kyle. Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I was just happy-go-lucky, super independent and attuned to my inner thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And then I meet Kyle and I'm like, oh, no, I just need to live life based off of what you think and feel. But for those of you who don't know, Kyle and I are both twins. We were raised in a context of comparison. From the moment I came out of my mother's 
body. <laughs> From the moment we came out, it it was never about me as an individual. It was always about what was convenient for the group. Yep. I It was odd to me when I got to college and I got to make my own decisions. I honestly really struggled with depression my freshman year. The idea that that was the first time in my life that I ever had a room to myself. Sorry, oh, sophomore yeah. year was yeah. the first year. Freshman year, I shared a room. Me but, and my brother used to, Brent used to sleep under my bed. We used to have bunk beds and then my parents made us get rid of it so we could have some more separation. And Brent would come and sleep under my bed. He said, yeah, I'm going to get a bunk floor. bed. He's I don't like, care what y'all say. I'm away. going to get my bunk bed. <laughs> that sounds like Brent. And it was, it was, it was shock. It was culture shock yeah. to make my own decisions and not every, not for every two seconds, check in with somebody else. Mm. Right. And now I think back to like why my high school relationships were so toxic. It was about fusing my identity with whoever would give me a sense of security. Yeah. Right. Fusing my identity with whoever showed me even in the most minimalistic ways that I was lovable. Right. And so I get married to Kyle and he's fantastic and I'm terrified of disappointing him. And so my identity becomes about, I will do whatever you want me to do if it means I don't disappoint you. Because if I disappoint you, I will experience the terror of my past and I'm doing everything to avoid that, right? And so it got to this point, to be quite honest, where I think, I feel like year three, beginning of year three was like, I've spent my entire life trying to make you happy entire life. Look how dramatic I am. I've spent my entire three years <laughs> trying to make you happy, but I'm not happy. And it wasn't like, a, oh, I'm not happy because Kyle was not this or that. It was, I'm not happy because I look at my life and nothing, none of it reflects who I am. Yeah. It was like, it, like I remember, and I know it was the Holy Spirit that like snapped me out of it. But like, I just remember waking up one day and looking at our bedroom (laughs) and looking at like our house and just like crying and being like, this is not me. Like, what Mm. am, what am I doing? And I think that this conversation is really important because many of us in our early, mid, late twenties, early, mid, late thirties, we're there. Yeah. We're like kind of like snapping out of it like Mm -hmm. mentally emotionally spiritually and looking around and being like this don't reflect who i am at all yeah what am i like what am i doing and then we're trying to figure out what makes us happy but we can't do it because we're not versed in figuring out how to name our emotions we don't have emotional literacy yeah and i mean so so great therapists you walk into the into the room and most of them pretty much know where you're going to end up within the first 20 or 30 minutes of the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. The, the rest of therapy is getting you on board with like, okay, this is what's it. And I remember <laughs> Dr. Todd, um, Dr. Carlos Todd the walks around on, on, on hooves <laughs> 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 making weird noises at people An actual goat, the greatest of all time. Um, I remember just, like maybe two or three sessions in, he's like, you know what? I just got to say it. One day we're just going to have to address like your relationship with your dad. And I'm like, bro, 
You missed it. Yeah. Me and my I'm dad are one. cool. Yeah. Like, he's great. I'm great. He's great. I love him. He loves me. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that you, I'm not saying your dad hated you or you've got all this bitterness towards him. Yeah. But like, there's some ways that you have fused your identity to his. Mm. All right, Doc. Let's get back to what, what you're going to pay for. I'm like, and not even like mind your business. I was literally like, oh, he's just you, off. You are so off. You've mm. never, I'm like, you're normally pretty right, but you have really missed the ball here. I'm like, you know what? Everyone, everyone messes up a few times. <laughs> like I do not have any issues with my dad. And I didn't, I didn't have any issues with my dad, except for the fact that I wanted to be him. And the idea that I did anything or thought about anything or, live my life in any way that didn't reflect him mm. was unthinkable. Yeah. And I had few literally fused my identity with his. And it wasn't until it took years and years to even get to that point. Yeah. And, and you go through all the surface layers, there's trigger warning, there's, you know, the molestation and there's the abuse and the, almost creating the, this emotional environment where you're looking for a safe person to yeah. hold your emotions and tell you how to feel and tell you how to think and how to process. Cause it's safe. Yeah. It's safe. If yeah. you turn your emotions on, who knows what's going to come up. So I need to find a trustworthy, morally sound person to fuse my emotions to. And in that process, they become a golden calf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> become an idol. And it took a lot of emotional literacy to even get there. Because like we said earlier, like some of this stuff is just so baked into the way that we look at the world. Mm. It's not, there's no red flag being raised. It's not even like not normal. It's yeah. just, oh no, this is, this is the way to approach this situation. Yeah. Until you start asking like, well, you know, like um, probably the title of Kobe's fifth best selling book or whatever. Who, who <laughs> I'm said that? It. Um, who said that? Ooh. Who said that? Where did that come from? Why yeah. is it that way? And that's like the at the core of emotional literacy. Like, wait, what am I even? What am I actually saying when I say that it is? It's a shameful thing to be upset that I have been um, passed over for a promotion I earned that I was told I was going to get, and then at the last minute because of politics, I didn't get. Like, what am I saying when I say that that's not worthy of being upset about? Like, what am I actually saying? And who said that first? And why does that actually feel like the appropriate response? Because mm. there's this reality. Things would happen, and I would actually feel some way. Yeah. So I felt it. Yeah. And then I would say to myself, that's not the right way to feel. Mm. This is the right way to feel. Mm. And try and feel that. Mm. Right. And, and it takes like like oh what Kabe is saying, that emotional literacy to even start to recognize that you're feeling anything. Yeah. Right? And for those of you who don't know, emotional literacy is the ability to recognize and name the emotions that you're experiencing. Right. Being able to just say, like, I feel sad. <laughs> I yeah. feel disappointed. And Kyle, you just said something I've talked a couple of times on the podcast and in different areas about the structure of the super ego, the ego and the id. Mm -hmm. um, but I that just is a perfect example of that. And I'll review that really quickly. So the first of all, ego is not the enemy. That'll be my eighth best-selling book. And I'm like, there you go. like, Oh, it's all ego. And I'm like, to be honest, I've met more people with, with um, injured egos than inflated egos. Mm. And if you're not looking, you're not versed in understanding, you'll think someone's arrogant when really they're terrified. Yeah. You know? Um, 
So the superego is the parental voice of, of the psyche structure, right? So, and for many of us, the superego takes on the voice of the person who is most responsible for taking care of us, right? So you might hear someone say, I can hear my dad saying, or I'm about to do this and I can hear my mom saying, <laughs> I can hear my grandma say, I can hear my, you know, whoever, whoever yeah. that like, that person that they're like most attached to that it takes on that voice. And the id is the structure. So if you think about it, the layer cake, I'm kind of skipping around, but the id is layer one, ego is layer two, uh, super ego is layer three. So we're skipping down to layer one and layer one is the id. And that's just like straight desire without mm-hmm. without any social uh, yep. filter at all. I like, see candy. I want candy. I, I eat, eat candy. candy. Yep. That's Fact, every yep, time. Yep. 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 And going on with that metaphor, the ego is... I want candy, but it's not mine, <laughs> right? They're, they're reasoning. Mm-hmm. I don't know that person, right? They're utilizing social contract and structure. And then what the superego would say is, and you shouldn't eat candy because you're getting fat, right? Did I, you understand that? Hey, bro, that voice loud as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, too like, loud. The words like, by too loud. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, the, it is my basic desire. The ego is this is the context of my desire and the e and the super ego oftentimes either takes on a like hyper encouraging or hyper shameful tone. Mm-hmm. Um and that's where that codependence sort of lives, right? It's yes. that voice that we are filtering our mm-hmm. lens through. It's that voice that we are dependent upon making sure that we're lining up with. Yes. And and it and it puts you in a situation where like you can't you can't actually operate in life in a healthy way, like you, you're missing on critical skills. Yeah. Like like you struggle with the ability to negotiate. Yes. Oh my goodness. You better go there. The idea that you can take some and leave some emotionally, right? Like not just like, Oh, you know, but that, that there can be an emotional middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. Or that if someone doesn't accept or, um, agree with what you feel in the moment, that it's not a, a perpetual rejection. Mm. We disagreed this one time and now I think our friendship is at risk. That's something that all codependents struggle with, right? And I also think that this really affects friendships because going back to that structure of the superego, the ego, and the id, for many of us, we're walking around with that superego just talking ourselves to death. And I like to tell my clients, you know, you can hear a song enough times that the song never has to play. You know, every word, every mm-hmm. ad lib, every part. Listen, you put on Icebox by Omarion. Oh, I God. know I can, I, I can do the hi-hat from the beginning to the end, okay? Not that great a song. <laughs> That's another part. That, season four, we're going to just talk about how Icebox box is not that great a song. Omarion snapped, Timbaland snapped. I will not argue. Um, but I haven't heard that song in a really long time. Mm. But if someone told me to sing it, I my brain is literally there are neurological pathways. I'm trying assigned, not to hum it right now. Okay, uh, there are neurological pathways assigned to that song because at one point I listened to it every single day. But even when I stopped listening to it every single day, I still memorize every single part of that song. Right, and for many of us, we're stepping into adulthood, stepping into um, new careers, stepping into marriage, stepping into parenthood, stepping into this new season of ourselves 
ourselves in our lives. And we're still hearing the words of the people that we were codependent with in their physical absence. Yeah. Right. And so what's happening is we have this desire for community and intimacy with people that's not based on connection, but that's based on relief. We're looking for someone strong to take on our big emotions so that we don't have to feel them because that's what made us comfortable. But what makes us comfortable is not always what's good for us, right? And it's hard. I will say this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The greatest barrier to healing is embarrassment. The fear of being honest about what actually hurts. So... For me, as someone who's a struggling codependent, I struggle with what to wear because I can hear my mom's voice saying your butt looks too big in that. Ain't no such (laughs) thing. Mama, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I cannot. I'm about to call her right now. Don't you say that? Please do not call my mother. Um, Oh, your butt is too tight. What are people going to think of you if they see you in that outfit, right? Mm. That's that's the super ego in my head, especially when it comes to appearance, right? Um, you don't want people to think you're you're this type of person or that yeah. type of person. Like that that is my super ego. So now, as an adult with two whole kids and a whole husband, I am figuring out what I like to wear. Yeah, I literally and like you've seen me. I literally yeah. before we go somewhere, like sit and I don't get dressed quickly anymore. Because I used to just say, what would other people be wearing? Yes. And then I would orient what I wore around what I thought other people would wear. But as I began to go through therapy, trying to figure out what my own inner voice sounds like, trying to figure out what my own desires were, what do I want to wear to this event? Yeah. How am I going to reflect myself? And it sounds like something so small and mundane, but I've absolutely cried over it mm-hmm. and been like, why the heck? Am I dang near 30 and I don't know what I want to wear because I've spent my entire life just mirroring what other people, what whatever was most affirmed in other people. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I've been doing that for so long and the target keeps moving and I'm just not happy. Yeah. Like I'm just not. And, and for me, it's not happy with myself, not in a way that's self-deprecating or I hate myself, but I'm not happy because I I'm still figuring out what my own heart's language is when I'm fluent in everyone else's language. Like that is a really, really hard, hard place to be like over here, like just figuring out that I like sneakers. I like that has been such a joy to me. Yes. And not a joy to Kyle's bank account, our bank account, but a joy to me. Like I'll be like, ah, I love sneakers and realizing that I'm really sensitive, like when it comes to things that are sensory, Mm -hmm. I can't do really strong smells. I can't do really loud noises. I can't do lots of noises. I can't do a lot of touch Mm -hmm. and being like, oh, like instead of saying what's wrong with you, you should be able to deal with it. Just being like, I can't do it. (laughs) You know, like even cutting down my my uh, clinical work week. So I still get work done on Mondays and Fridays, but wanting to push myself because I've been talking to clinicians who are like, I see 35 clients a week. Oh God. <laughs> I'm over here seeing 15, like over here rocking in the chair with my eyes bugging out. And I'm yeah. like, why can't, before I would be like, why can't I see that many clients in that capacity? Like, why can't I? And it was never about mm-hmm. accepting it was never about that. Yeah. yeah, what we call in therapy, radical acceptance. Radical acceptance. It was never about that. It was always about striving towards something. And for me, I'm learning how to say, I, you know what? I am my best self when I work three days a week. 
when I'm seeing clients, I, I, I rarely ever dread a session when I'm seeing clients three days a week. And I'm learning how to, how to be myself for the first time mm-hmm. at almost 30. And, and you're, you're hitting on something, right? Like, so as we talk about, like, how do you actually reparent codependence? Like, what do you, what are some of the things that you can do? Um, Kobe's actually, she just referenced a story that actually hits on two of probably the, the main things that you can lean into as you want to reparent this issue. Step one, rest. Yeah. Right. Like you, you can't know what you feel until you have time to feel. Right. Mm. So COVID has done that for a lot of us. So that's why everyone's <laughs> running to the therapist's office. So that's yeah. kind of good. But just in general, developing a sense of rest. And then two, community. I mean, there's other things and we're going to go through them, but community. Because even as Kobe is wrestling with this, something as simple as like, okay, like, what do I need in order to be an effective clinician, an effective mother, wife, whomever I want to be? Like, she's in community with me. So I've got to be someone in her life who can be trusted to to be willing to flip the script as she pursues authenticity. Yeah. Right? Like it would be convenient for us, for both of us in our own ways. It'd be convenient for her codependence and convenient for even for my codependence, right? Because mm. there's a voice in my head that says, you know, if you ain't working 70 hour weeks, you ain't working. Like yeah. you ain't started to work until you hate working. Yeah. Um, yeah. It literally, I like, I don't, it was never a thought that you, that you enjoy what you do. It was like, no, you just, you work so hard that you can enjoy what you do when you're retired or mm. enjoy what you do on the weekend. So the, even the idea of like partnering with Kobe to try and figure out how can we orient our life around putting her in a place where she has rest so that she's freed up to be her best self. Like that's a conversation between both of our codependent voices. Yeah. Right. And so in our community, like we have to be on one accord because I need to be able to free her up in order to do that. Yeah. Like th- Obviously, that's a decision she has to make for herself, but it's not a decision that she can keep by herself, right? Yeah. There's got to be someone who's willing to hold her accountable to like, I, you know, I know, like, listen, you working Monday through Friday would be amazing to some extent, but I need I need the real you to show up on those days. Mm-hmm. I don't need the you that's pretending to be someone else. Yeah. Um, and so I've got to be committed to that. Yeah. And some, honestly, there's some friends that you kind of have to push away because they're not at a place where they can, where they can honor the idea of who you're trying to be. And I'm not saying like, and that's hard. Yeah. That and, is and hard. Obviously there's a balance to that because some unique community to yeah. challenge you in certain ways, but there are some people who haven't done their own emotional work. And so yeah. they have no empathy, no desire to no protect context. what you're trying to, what you're trying to build. Yeah. And you said something that <laughs> I feel like my codependent brain, like as you were talking, I was like, yeah, and he needs to hold me accountable because like, I got to show up for my kids. Like codependent people find their value in what they can provide for other people. Mm-hmm. Because at the core of all of this, right. It's, is, is them satisfying somebody else's pain. It's them, um, trying to regulate someone else's emotions through mm-hmm. their actions. 
right? And so here I am, as you're talking, I was like, oh, yeah, because, like, my kids need me. And, like, something the Holy Spirit has been, like, bopping me upside the head with is, like, you need you. Mm -hmm. You doing good things or receiving good things is not just for you to relay to other people. That's supposed to be a byproduct, right? And overflowing. But, like, for me, and I know for many people, we think that if something good happens, it's, it's like, okay, now I need to go give it to this person. It's like, no, actually, now I need to experience this and soak in this love and soak in this attentiveness and soak in this joy and soak in this um, presence. But we really struggle with that. Um, and these aren't exhaustive, like, oh, go do this and you will not be codependent anymore. Because as many and times you've had to live out trying to satisfy and regulate someone else's emotions through actions as many times you've had to you know look at other people and discern what they were feeling for the sake of your own safety Mm -hmm. is as many times as you need to stand up for yourself yeah i don't mean stand up against anyone but literally just stand up yeah to be yourself and to show up as yourself so i would say that um the third step to reparenting and beginning that process is journaling. Woo. I love journaling. And more than that, I love leading my clients in um, homework with journaling because they get to see the reality of what they're experiencing. How many times are like, yeah. Oh, I feel sad now I'm watching family guy. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know? And it's like, you get so you like, you, you never really get to look at yeah. it. it Stewie it, and Brian are always there for me. Yeah. It, it <laughs> true. I really, when I was depressed, I don't know what family guy did to my soul, but it just made me laugh so hard when I was so sad. Um, but we get to this place where we stop forgetting how tangible our emotions are. And I think Mm -hmm. journaling is a beautiful way to um, increase emotional literacy, make our emotions tangible. And I think many of us think that we know what we're feeling and why, but when we have to sit and write things down, we'll find that what we feel is oftentimes not even a reflection of the environment we're in or the day we've had is actually a reflection of the people that we're connected to. Yeah. And that's a lot of like that's a lot of the self-diagnosing of of codependence is like well, go through your day from beginning to end. I felt this when this happened. I felt this, I felt this. And then go back and look, did I feel this in response to the situation? Did I feel this in response to what my core values are because mm-hmm. something was reflected or something was violated or something, you know, was thwarted in some way? Or did I feel this way because I knew this person would feel this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And and a tip from a um, you know, from a codependent OG. Right. <laughs> so f- for those of you, um, especially men, because there's just a there's a whole cultural framework we could get into, but the reality is we have been like socially conditioned to just not feel certain emotions and then that gets um affirmed over and over and over again and then it becomes its own thing, right? So um I couldn't journal for a long time. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have enough emotional literacy to even start a conversation around what I felt. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of like, I felt this when that happened. Like, no, I felt like, how was your day, babe? It was okay. Like, it was fine. Well, what happened? I don't know. I mean, I went to work. I got home. Like, what do you mean what happened? Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, 
And then three hours, three well, days you later, I mentioned, something. oh, well, yeah, you know, I almost got fired or yep. something or, or there was a fight. And it's like, how did that not rise to the level of something happening? It's just like, ah. <laughs> you know, just like man, and so yes. I know that there are some some folks listening that are like, "Yeah, I'm I can't do that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not there." Here's something that I think almost everyone can do. It's it's the thing that I had to start doing. Uh, it's it's baby steps into this journey of emotional literacy. Um, at the beginning of the day, challenge yourself to authentically feel one emotion that you don't normally let yourself feel, i.e. the beginning of the day, decide. Today, I'm going to look for an opportunity to feel sad or to at least notice that I'm sad. Mm. Because sadness is an emotion I would never let myself feel. There's so much shame tied to the idea of Mm. not feeling sad. Yeah. And so when this started, I had to like, baby steps for me was just like, okay, maybe today something will happen that makes me feel sad. Mm. And if it does, I'm going to be looking for sadness. Yeah. And then I'm going to let myself acknowledge that it's there. Maybe I'm not ready to like let myself feel it. Yeah. But I'm going to let myself acknowledge that it's there. Yeah. Because for someone who prided themselves on never feeling sad, it's amazing how often like how I could never skip a day when I was looking for sadness. Mm. It was happening every day. Mm. and very often it was like dang bro i it's 8 a.m i'm already sad oh maybe i'm <laughs> depressed ah, never mind i'm an american <laughs> we don't get depressed okay I not. Um, except we do but you know we've talked about rest we've talked about community we've talked about journaling mm. um and, and, I, and i think just making space intentional like setting up a rhythm of letting yourself feel yeah and and before we pop out it wouldn't be me if I didn't talk about how this affects our relationship with God. Mm. Because we don't get that instant gratification from our relationship with God all the time. Yeah, Sometimes we do, right? But like for people who are codependent, it is going to be really easy for us to love church mm. and hate quiet time with Jesus. Because there are all these, all these people with all these emotions that we can latch on to. Mm-hmm. If the pastor's excited, I'm excited. If the person beside me is crying, I'll start crying. If someone starts shouting and shucking and driving, I might hit a two-step, right? <laughs> there's like, there's, there's, there's this safety in latching on to other people's emotions. But when it comes to that sacred, quiet time with God where it's just you and him, it can it can feel terrifying yeah like going back to that fight flight freeze that terror not knowing because what does a codependent think and ask all the time mm-hmm. am i doing it right yeah. <laughs> except for you're not going to get a direct answer from god all the time yeah and so what do we do we avoid time with god because it's so freaking uncomfortable mm-hmm. we feel a sense of terror going into the presence of god we feel we might be the most well-versed people but fumble over our words and not even know what to pray or what to ask because we're looking for a direction in somebody else's emotions except for god just wants ours mm-hmm. except for we don't know what ours are yeah <laughs> right and then you go into time with god expecting god to interact with you through a certain lens mm. like there there was a whole season you know 20 ish years or so where um every interaction with god i was expecting to be shamed by god like to be chastised it was yeah it was like okay i'm gonna go pray and god's gonna tell me how i need to repent oh my gosh yeah it's never god's going to affirm 
that um you know that that's I've been a type faithful. of like it's never going to be anything other than oh yeah i know what this is yeah time with god looks like oh repent yeah which you know sometimes it does yeah but like again that's my codependency coming up right like there's a voice in my head there's that that orients me to oh well this is the proper emotion to feel this mm. is the right way to mm. feel in in regards to god and god's like hey bro i just wanted to say hey yeah how you doing <laughs> i just want to say i love you and i'm proud of you that is that it's so funny you said that i'm sorry i almost cut you off again let me you better you better go um so that it that just brought up so much for me it, it's spiritual practice scanning Yes. It is spiritual practice scanning. It is, I'm trying to figure out. Title of your ninth bestseller. Thank you. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out what you're feeling. I'm trying to sense, I'm trying to anticipate because anticipating helps us be safe. Yeah. Right. It helps us stay safe. And what you were just talking about is a type of um, uh, distorted thinking is what it's called, called mind reading. Right, and it keeps us from connecting to other people and to God because it, we it's it's the it's the perfect example of someone getting in a whole argument in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and Whoa. then she said, and I know, and you know what? That wouldn't even make sense because the last time you said, and the person hasn't even said hello. Well, them, them shower arguments, they, they be <laughs> hidden. Listen, I'd be turning into crab mob back and forth. Okay, I'm like, can you believe he said and that? I, and I wish she, would, you know, and and we miss an opportunity to connect to God again, to no fault of our own. Our trauma responses are not a reflection of our moral standing. Yeah, it's a response. Yeah. It's a it's a reflection of the pain we've endured, right? And God has mercy on that. I think for me, the beginning of me developing a perspective of God that was so far exceedingly. Uh, divine, <laughs> more divine than what I'd ever known is when I started to go into the presence of God while I was afraid mm. and, and finding that like, it, you know, spiritual exposure therapy that I had to endure yeah. that terror, even for just a second. And on the other side of that was this unimaginable tenderness. And every single time, the first thing God says is I'm proud of you. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, you can't be proud of me. I did this. I did this. I did this. And it was like, this constant way that God was cre- creating this corrective emotional experience yes. that I did not have to protect from him. I could trust that he would protect for me, you know? Yeah. It, listen, okay. I know this is about the time we're supposed to stop, but I just, I, I just need to tag on to that because the idea of like spiritual exposure therapy is so, so, so important to wrap our head around as Christians, because it's one of the very unique things in our faith. Like, um, as an example, everyone knows the story of the flood, if you're a Christian. You know the story of the flood and and the rainbow in the sky that means that God will never flood the world again. That whole thing is, is God bringing us into spiritual exposure therapy. Mm. Because what happens? It rains. And it never stops raining and the earth is flooded. Yeah. And, and everything happens. dies and every hope is gone. And mm. it's the worst tragedy in the world. And then in God's covenant, he does not say it's never going to rain again. Right? His promise is, oh, actually, I'm going to put you in spiritual exposure therapy. It's going to keep raining, but you won't die. 
Mm. Right? Like and the promise is like, oh, I'm how what's my sign? My sign is that after it's done raining, you'll remember that I made this promise to you. So yeah. it's like God is using rain to help us through this spiritual exposure therapy, correct this negative emotional experience of the last time it rained and everything went dark. Right. Yeah. And so very often in the world, we try to teach ourselves that, Oh, well, like when God wants to heal me from this, it'll just mean that it'll never rain again. And and I'll never experience again. And I think what's so powerful about that metaphor is the fear of rain comes from the fact that a flood once killed everybody. Yeah. Sometimes we treat people who've experienced trauma like the things that they're they're terrified of right now are childish and unwarranted. Yeah, it's a but, fairy tale. Yeah, but we have to remember that they are afraid of those things because last time something like this happened, catastrophe actually ensued. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like people actually died. People actually were hurt. People actually were abused. So it's not just someone always anticipating that like, oh, something terrible. And there are people who do experience that. And it's no less traumatic for people who have that type of anxiety. But for many people, they're experiencing a a tangible, physical physically, biologically encoded fear mm-hmm. that has to be reversed only through re-enduring the terror of what they ex- were in before, only to find that it's going to end a different way. Yeah. Yeah. But that takes faith. And there's a reason that the sign comes at the end and not the beginning, right? You Ooh. would think it would be like, hey, Let me pull oh, the, out my the way quarters. I'm going to do this is I'll put a rainbow in the sky and yeah. then it'll rain. But the rainbow will let you know that this rain won't kill you, right? Yeah. It's like, no, it'll just start raining. Oh my gosh. But when it's over. <laughs> but when it's over. I'll remind you. Yeah. Right? I'll remind you of the promise that I made to you. And so just as an encouragement, like the world wants you to think that the path forward looks like this safe place where it never rains again. That is not what God's promise is in this. Like when you're reparenting, there's going to be some rain. Yeah. <laughs> you and will the, get wet. The rain may be like someone not accepting you when you decide to walk in your true self. Yeah. The rain might look like someone challenging you and disagreeing with you in a way that makes you feel afraid and want to shrink back. The rain might look like you being rejected by someone when you decide not to fuse your identity with them. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that you are any less worthy of being loved or any less worthy of expressing your God-given infinite nature here on earth as God has assigned you to. To think that there's a piece of God's infinite nature in all of us that is unique to all of us, a fingerprint of God himself in all of us that cannot be replicated in someone else that we all deserve to experience, not just for other people, not just for ministry, but for us to just experience God's goodness and what it means for us to live authentically, Amen. that is a gift and we all deserve that. And for many of us, the trauma of our past stole that from us. And so the safest thing for us was to engage in codependent behavior, not because we chose it, but because it was what helped us survive. Yeah. Mm. I'm pray. Lord, thank you for every single person who's listening, for every person who's driving in a car, working out, going on a walk, or just sitting and listening to this with a friend, a partner, a spouse. God, you are good. 
And to those of us who've experienced the deep, deep wounds that make it terrifying to be ourselves, we know that you see us. Even when it feels like we are alone in the darkness, even when it feels like depression is going to consume us and anxiety is going to tear us apart, God, you see us. Help us to orient our eyes towards you, to take the hand of Jesus and to take courage, not because we have it, but because it's constantly being offered to us through the blood of Jesus so that we can walk in the healing process that we often want to be super fast, but is slow. Yeah. Lord, and it's not slow because you want to torture us. It's slow because you want to show us tenderness in a way that we can savor. Help us to know that when things don't move as fast as we want them to. Help us to know that when we feel like change isn't coming as quickly as it should. Help us to lean into your presence, lean into your word, lean into community, lean into therapy, lean into the things that you've given us as tools to know you, to know others, and to know ourselves. God, you are with all of us. Give us a thing this week, whether the person's listening to it the week it's released or three years from now. God, give us a thing this week that'll help us say, God delights in who I actually am, not in who I pretend to be. And that is good. Amen. Amen. Until the circle comes back around. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked our conversation, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so we can get the word of healing out to as many people as possible. Visit the show notes to stay up to date on our mental health workshops, yearly retreats, Oasis is Bomb, and connect to us on social media. We'll chat with you guys soon until the circle comes back around.